0: You are listening to "Teach Me Thy Statutes," a production of the Ephesus School Network.
1: Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed when they. Hi,
0: this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and
1: you are listening to the "Teach Me Thy Statutes" podcast, episode number 21. Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, through chapter 3, verse 20. The man gave names to all cattle, and to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother, and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden Sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all cattle and above all wild animals. Upon your belly shall you go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life." I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So, Father, in our last episode we discussed how the church reverts back to more ancient customs and traditions. And during the first five days of Great Lent this week, we have readings appointed each day from the book of Genesis, beginning at Genesis 1. So before we examine this specific passage in Genesis today, would you take a few minutes and explain more generally why the church begins with Genesis instead of maybe starting with the Gospels and Jesus' earthly ministry? That's a great question, Jason. In
0: some sense, there's almost always been a little bit of unease in the Church with the Old Testament, at least after the time of the death of the apostles and when the Church started to be dominated by the Gentile converts. That unease continues to this day in in many circles. In fact, early in the Church, there was a movement to basically dismiss the Old Testament, to say that the God of the Old Testament wasn't really the same God of the New Testament or the Father of Jesus Christ. And today, few Christians would go that far explicitly, but many sort of implicitly think that way. And I think from early times until now, the main reason for this discomfort with the Old Testament is really because people don't fully understand it. And specifically, I think there's sort of this assumption that just because the Bible mentions something or because perhaps an important character does something, that somehow that means the Bible is condoning what they do. But that couldn't be farther from the truth of what's going on. And what do you mean by that exactly, father? Well, we sort of have this simplistic view that because a Bible character is important, that the Bible's condoning what they do. I'll just use one of literally hundreds of examples that I could use. Take the story of Jacob. Jacob's clearly a key figure in the Bible. He's renamed Israel, so Israel is named after him. And Jacob has more than one wife, so people sort of assume that the Bible condones polygamy, at least in the Old Testament. But that's not the case, and I would argue that from Genesis itself.
1: So it's a a little bit off topic, but I really think it's important, Father. So how would you argue that from Genesis? Genesis has three key figures
0: who are presented as ideals, or at least close to the ideal. The first would be Isaac, the father of Jacob. Uh, He was the son of promise, and Paul points out in Galatians how We are all Jew and Gentile, those who believe in Christ as the Messiah, children of God through Isaac. Isaac lived his entire life in the Promised Land, unlike Abraham and Jacob. Isaac had one wife. Noah, at least before the flood, was an ideal character, one who puts his trust in God. And that's why he was saved with his family in the ark. He has one wife. And then that great character, Joseph. Such a shining example that no tribe is allowed to be called after his name also only has one wife. Those are the three key figures in Genesis, at least in terms of providing us with good examples of how we should live our lives. And they all have only one wife. So what I'm getting at is that the Bible subtly shows the ideal of monogamy, even in Genesis, amidst a society and culture that was polygamous. So the fact that Jacob, the father of Israel, had multiple wives doesn't necessarily condone that practice. Jacob was also a usurper, usurping his brother's birthright. That doesn't mean it's okay to steal or to usurp or to take something that doesn't belong to you. In fact, we could do a whole episode on this, many of the key figures in the Bible being purposely portrayed in a negative light. And this is done by no means to condone their behavior, but to show Israel they are not a light to the nations because they behave better than any of the nations. Rather, they are a light because God revealed himself to them and worked through them to show his mercy, and eventually, as the Old Testament prophesies, to show that same mercy to all nations.
1: That's a very interesting, Father. So really quickly then, with this background in mind, why does the church begin with Genesis verses? The beginning of Jesus's ministry.
0: Simply put, the church does this because if you remove him, if you remove Jesus from the context of the Old Testament, he doesn't make any sense. Christians love to talk about viewing the Old Testament in the light of Christ, but what we often miss is the fact that we also need to view Jesus in the light of the Old Testament. Ultimately, when you read the Old and New Testaments together, you can see this biblical narrative covers all existence From the beginning of anything to the end of everything. From the creation of the cosmos to the final judgment. So you have to take all of this into account. You can't just start with the earthly ministry of Jesus or you'll miss all the context.
1: Thanks for those explanations, Father. Now, getting into the specifics of this passage in Genesis 1 read at the beginning of the podcast, I remember at one of our parish's education nights when we spoke about this story, that you provided some interesting insight related to Adam and Eve and their relationship. Would you please uh, explain that to our listeners?
0: Yes, but to understand what I'm saying, we have to go back two verses before the ones that you read uh, today from Genesis 2.20 through 3.20. So, Jason, will you please read Genesis 2.18 through 19?
1: Sure. Beginning at verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Thanks, Jason.
0: Now, what I want to point out are two things. First, note how Scripture defines the reason for the woman to eventually come into existence.
1: Uh, The reason being to be a helper comparable to the man.
0: Correct. And the term I would highlight here would be comparable and we'll get back to that in a minute the second thing I would highlight is that God brings all the beasts of the field and every bird of the air to the man to see what he would call them in other words so that he would name them and that of course is what Adam did
1: and what exactly is the significance of that
0: the significance is that if you name something it's a sign that you have dominion or authority over it think about our children we name them and we name them because they are under our authority The same with our pets, the first thing you do when you get a new pet, whether it's a dog or a cat or a fish, you name it. Some people even name their vehicles. But you only do this when you have some sense of authority or dominion or ownership. And then we enter into today's passage that you already read, where we hear that Adam did not find any of the animals to be comparable to him. God then causes the deep sleep to fall upon him, and from his rib he builds the woman. And perhaps I'll touch on that peculiar language later, that God is said to have built Eve, although we could make a whole podcast out of that. In any case, what I want to emphasize now is the presumption of the man with the woman. Specifically, when God brought her to the man, he never mentioned anything about the man naming her. Yet Adam took this task upon himself, showing that he thought he had dominion and authority over the woman. And this is further reflected in his statement, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And I see in this a sense where the man immediately believes he is superior to the woman, where the woman is under his authority and dominion. And in the ancient world, this was the case. The woman was literally seen as the man's property. And I view this passage as a critique of that, because God himself never asked the man to name the woman. And furthermore, his intent from the beginning was to make a helper, as we said, comparable to the man, not subordinate or inferior to him.
1: And how do you see this play out in the rest of Scripture?
0: Well, there several things I'd point out. One of them is Paul's statement in Galatians 3.28, that in Christ Jesus there is not male and female, but all are one. There is the fact that Christ speaks with the Samaritan woman. Many things could be taken from that exchange, but one of them is certainly that Christ spoke with a woman privately something that wasn't normally done in his time because women were viewed to be below men. Another is the fact that Paul allows women to be baptized as Christians apart from their husbands. In other words, it does not require the husband's permission. Yet another is the protection that Jesus offers women by saying that divorce is not allowed except for adultery. And this protects a woman who legally would not have been protected under the Roman law of Christ's time if she were not under a man's authority. So, in other words, Christ is saying a man cannot just do as he wishes with his wife. But again, I come back to the fact that many people believe the Bible condones certain things that we find unpalatable. So, some people may look at certain passages of the Bible where women were unfairly treated and think the Bible somehow condones that, just because famous characters were responsible for that type of behavior. Again, that's not the case, in my opinion. In fact, I'm arguing the Bible actually condemns these types of things if you see what's actually going on in the larger story, seeing the bigger picture.
1: My final question for today has to do with the eating from the tree. Some of the hymnography in the Orthodox Church plays on the idea that the first commandment was to essentially fast, meaning it was a commandment not to eat certain foods. And the hymns tie that into the season of Great Lent and our fasting. Would you speak on that?
0: Sure, we're tight on time, so I'll be brief. Uh, Yes, undoubtedly, the first commandment is a commandment to fast, to abstain from eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We've talked on previous episodes about the nature of fasting and how fasting is a means to an end. It shouldn't be viewed as an end in and of itself, and that's certainly the case here. The fasting from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil serves the purpose of exercising constraint, of not getting into things that are outside the realm of human understanding, but rather to be content with what God gives you. And so I'll kind of use this as a real quick leap into what I mentioned earlier, namely that the woman in this story is said to have been built. Very precise language here, but peculiar. So most translators decide to translate it that the woman was formed or made rather than saying that she was built, but that's not what the passage says. It says, again, very specifically, that Eve was built. And, of course, it was Eve who encouraged Adam to eat of the tree, and then you have what we often refer to as the fall of mankind. In any case, what I want to briefly highlight, and perhaps we can dig into this further in a future episode, is that as a general rule, human beings building things in the Bible is bad. And the problem is that usually what we build are monuments to ourselves. Or when we build, we say, wow, look how great we are. Look at the work of our hands. And this is most clearly seen, of course, in the story of the Tower of Babel. Instead of spreading out on the earth, humans congregate and they build pillars to themselves and say, look how great we're becoming. So the introduction of this woman, the introduction of the one who will eventually tempt and encourage Adam to eat, to break the fast, to sin, is built. And this relates to the nature of fasting in the sense that we humans are always trying to acquire and to build and to make our name and our people and our nation look great. We aren't satisfied with what God gives us. We want more. And so in this opening week of Great Lent, of the Great Fast, we're reminded to exercise constraint, to stay within our realm, to not think too highly of
1: ourselves. Thank you, Father. Today's discussion began with Father Aaron clarifying that while the Bible mentions many things we would condemn today, particularly in the Old Testament, this does not mean that the Bible is condoning this behavior. In fact, Father clearly pointed to instances in Scripture as early as the book of Genesis that clearly illustrate this. For example, surrounded by a culture that was polygamous, we are presented with the ideal of monogamy from Isaac, Noah, and Joseph. We then explore the critical importance of viewing Jesus in the light of the Old Testament. In other words, if we remove Jesus from the context of the Old Testament, we lose all sense of God's plan of salvation for mankind. Next, we discuss the significance of naming something as a sign of having authority over it, Adam presumed authority over Eve and named her, though God did not give him this authority. She was to be a helper comparable to him, not subordinate or inferior. We see multiple examples in Scripture that support this. St. Paul tells us that there is not male and female, but all are one. We read that Christ spoke with the Samaritan woman privately. We know that Paul allowed women to be baptized as Christians without their husband's permission. And we see the protection of women that Jesus offers by not allowing divorce except for adultery. Finally, we discussed the first commandment given in Genesis, which was to fast. The fasting from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil serves the purpose of exercising constraint, of not allowing ourselves to get into things that are outside the realm of human understanding, but rather to be content and grateful for what God has given us.
0: Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week Alleluia, for a new episode.
1: Alleluia, Alleluia, Glory to Thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 Glory to Thee, O God. O our God and our hope, Glory to Thee.